Welcome to First Hamilton CRC Sermon Podcast. My name is Chris Schoon. I serve as the lead pastor here at First Hamilton. We are delighted that you are listening in. We hope and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you as you seek to know and follow Jesus Christ. The reading today will be Esther 4, verses 15 to 16, page 780 in your New Testament. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jason. For those of you who have not been with us, we have been journeying uh, with the book of Esther for the last uh, five weeks. Today is the sixth sermon on this, and and we're diving in now to to one of the crucial moments in the story of Esther. You may remember from early on uh, in the series, we talked about how the book of Esther is a series of great reversals. It all pinpoints on this one night where the king couldn't sleep, and somehow in that restless night, he goes back and begins to discover how Mordecai had saved, uh, saved his life by reporting uh, on people who were attempting to assassinate the king. And uh, the whole story begins to change there for God's people as it transitions. This story that we read, just these two verses, comes at a crucial moment where the great reversal starts to happen for Esther herself. Esther has been in the king's presence before, but you may remember she has been caught up in this system and structure that's way beyond her. She was one of the women who was taken from their homes and put in isolation in the palace and treatments for uh, beauty treatments for a whole year in order to please the king for one night and out of all those women that he took Esther ends up being appointed queen and in this space as she is queen she has heard from her uncle Mordecai uh, that things are not going well and that actually a death threat has been given to all of the Jews Haman, Haman the Agite, has come in and said he's going to wipe out all the Jews and the king has agreed to it. And now we find Esther at this place, wondering what she will do. How will she respond to this news? Will she go before the king? And that's where we enter the story today. The first question in this text really is, what do you do when the king is unpredictable? with deadly consequences. I mean, Esther's whole life has been upended by this king. And you may remember that this story with the king started with him and his friends getting drunk. It was a 187-day party they were having. 
180 days wasn't enough, so the king said, let's do it for another seven. And at the end of that seven, he wanted his queen to come in and Queen Vashti to come in and, well, she refused him and so he got rid of her (laughs) and then started this whole cycle of drawing Esther into the story. But this king is really unpredictable. The decision-making structures of that day were that you would drink until you all agreed on a decision, and then in the morning when your hangover subsided, you would have the scribe read back to you what you decided the night before. And if you liked it, you went along with it. And if you didn't like it, you got drunk again to make a better decision. Seems kind of backward to us today, but... That's how Xerxes ran his court. What do you do when the king is so unpredictable? Not only that, this king has put in a rule, a rule in his palace that if anyone comes into his presence uninvited and he decides not to extend his golden scepter towards them, then they are to be taken off and killed immediately. How would you like that? I need to go see the king, but the king is kind of haphazard with who he welcomes into his presence. And Esther says in this story, it's been 30 days since the kings wanted to see her. She's entering into this story and into this space. The part of the text we're at is she's trying to live faithfully. What does this mean to to live just to survive right now in this context where everything's unpredictable? How do I follow along? What do I do? And now that my people and my own life are at stake, what am I supposed to do? How do I make a decision when so much is unpredictable? But I think the question for her was even a deeper one. It's not just, what do I do when the king is unpredictable? But it's a wondering if if God himself is unpredictable. You may remember the background to the story that Hayden laid out and I've laid out along the way, that they're a hundred years into exile. They've been removed from the promised land. All those curses in Scripture that that you read in those heavy books of, of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers, and you realize that if God's people don't follow God, God was going to take them out of the land. Well, he finally did. And not just for a little bit, but they're a hundred years into this. Esther likely never knew Jerusalem. She likely never saw it. She only heard stories passed down through generations now of what Jerusalem had looked like, of what it had been like to worship God in the temple, of what it had meant to be this people of God. Has God abandoned them? Did God just not punish them a little bit for their sins, but completely remove them? Did God forget about them? How many times have they cried out along the way and God's not responded? Will this be a punishment that lasts as long as their slavery in Egypt? 
Will this go on for 400 years? Will God hear me? If I cry out, will he even respond to me? It's almost as if they have barbed wire and a chain-link fence keeping them from accessing God, from coming before him. What will happen if I turn to God? I saw this picture. I felt like I had to put it up. How many of us feel overloaded? Frazzled? Too much coming in and going out. We don't know which end meets which end anymore. Things feel uncontrollable or at any moment could fall apart on us or burn up. Or we could burn out. I think this is kind of like, this is a good picture of what many of us talk about. We feel like things are out of control and our life has a sense of worry to it, a sense of anxiety. For some of us, it's we're in our final year of school and we have no clue what comes afterwards other than paying back OSAP. And we have a sense of nervousness and anxiety in us. For some of us, it is more serious. We have anxiety because we got a phone call from the doctor. What we thought was a routine checkup is not so routine. And we're looking at a future that seems really uncertain. For some of us, it's the layers of grief that have compounded over the last several years, and we don't know how to handle that grief anymore. People die. Loved ones have died. And our hearts are heavy, so heavy, that we don't know how to process the basic day-to-day things around us. The anxiety and the worry and the stress build up. Things that are beyond our control. And they weigh on us. They tear at us. And they bring us to a place where, where we don't know what to do. We don't know how to be faithful. We don't know what choices to make. We feel stuck. We feel threatened. I think for many of us, we actually come to a place We may not say it, but we come to a place where we start to wonder, what if God is like King Xerxes? What if at any moment he's just going to blow up and get angry with me? What if God, what if God needs to be tiptoed around? I don't know if I can do it right. What if I need to make sure that I'm doing all those religious things just right in order to be able to come before God, that that I've got to have my devotions at a certain time of day and that I've got to make sure I'm saying the prayers right and that I've got to keep myself all together and I've got to make sure I don't sin and I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, and we're so worried that maybe we've done too much wrong and God won't welcome us in. And maybe we're just not worthy and lovable enough, and that's why things are going wrong, and maybe God's just somehow angry with us. 
Maybe God doesn't like us. And those doubts and those worries, even if we don't put words to them, creep into us. And we live this fearful life that, do we dare come before God? And if we come before him, do we have to come with a a shiny, smiley face and say, everything's all right? Do we have to try and come in a certain way so that he'll extend that scepter to us and welcome us in? Or if we come before him, when we come before him, when we die and stand before him, are we going to find that he withholds the scepter and we're fearful that he'll judge us and find us unworthy and we'll be condemned? This is the type of anxiety that Esther is dwelling in. And I know it only pops up in two short verses here, but that's what's underneath this. If she comes before the king, not only King Xerxes, but before God, what will happen to her? How will she respond? And that's an anxiety I think many of us can relate to. There's actually a whole lot of grace in this story. But we need to read the bigger story. This is from Moses' final speech before the people of Israel. He's giving them at the end of Deuteronomy, he's given them the whole summary of the commandments and the laws about how they're to live before God. And he speaks to them and talks about a day when they will disobey God. You will fulfill the covenant. You'll break the laws. You'll walk away. And because of that, you'll be removed from the land. So before they've even entered the promised land, Moses tells them there's going to be a day where you disobey. It's as if he's saying, I know you're sinful. (laughs) And I know you'll choose other gods. And when you do, know this. God will take you back. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. At the beginning of the story, at the beginning of the people of Israel, God says to them, my faithfulness will be what defines this story, not your sinfulness. My faithfulness, not the punishments that come along the way, my faithfulness, not your distance from me. I will bring you back. But it's not just there. It's actually multiple times throughout the Old Testament that this comes up of God promising his people before they have sinned that if you turn back to me, if you repent, even if you're at the farthest ends of the earth, I will bring you back. Where's Esther? She's in Susa, far, far away from Jerusalem. And in this context, this story of God's people is, I will bring you back. One of the other significant places that this message comes up to God's people is actually at the dedication of the temple. Solomon, who's built this wonderful, splendid, gold-filled, gold-covered temple for God, and, and they've had all these sacrifices, and they're dedicating the temple. Solomon pleads with God and says, says God... Even if your people are scattered to the ends of the earth, if they repent, please hear their prayers. 
If they repent, please hear them. And God promises not just to hear them, but he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. And he goes on to promise again to bring them back to the promised land. God's saying to his people, if you, if you humble yourselves before me, no matter how far away from me you have drifted and gone, no matter how far away this exile has extended, no matter how unworthy you think you have become, I will hear you. I promise to hear you. I promise not only to hear you, but to forgive you and to bring you back. God's faithfulness is more than what the people deserve, but it's even more than what they have dared to imagine. Jeremiah, who's the prophet at the beginning of this exile, he's the one who's, who's watched them and warned them that God is about to send them into exile. He's called on them to humble themselves, and they've refused, and he watches God take his people to Babylon and to scatter them among the nations of the Babylonians and the Persians and the Medes. And Jeremiah promises them there that then you will call on me. When you're in these places, you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know the reversal for Esther in this passage? She humbles herself. And then she calls for fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. As I mentioned last week, we heard that earlier in this chapter 4 that Mordecai humbles himself and fasts and prays. He realizes the extent of his sin and, and what it's doing to God's people. And he humbles himself and fasts and prays. And it says that the people of the Jewish people throughout all of the land, all of the provinces, have humbled themselves and prayed. And now Esther joins that storyline. And what we hear in these two short verses is Esther entering into the story of God's faithfulness. God, I will humble myself and pray, I will repent. I will join myself into this story of your promised faithfulness and I will come before you trusting that you will hear us. Trusting that you are not like King Xerxes, but that you are more faithful than we have dared to imagine. And she humbles herself and prays. And when you begin to read the next chapters, you see God's faithfulness unfolded to her. She goes before the king and she doesn't perish. The king extends the scepter and she comes in and he's very receptive to her, even says, I'll give you half my kingdom. She finds more grace than she ever imagined possible. And she finds that grace continuing to unfold as the very person who was, who was setting himself up as an enemy of God's people, well, the king ends up putting him to death and removing the threat. And the threats of God's, God's, against God's people are taken away. And what you see through this story and why this story is included in, in, the, in the books of the Bible and this story is anchored in there is because it is God saying to us that even when circumstances seem 
hopeless. Even when my promise to faithfulness seems to have disappeared, trust me. I will show up. I will deliver you. I will be your provider. I will care for you. I will meet your needs. We have the privilege of living into that story as well. Hebrews 10 talks about it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You see, what God ends up doing, what he's foreshadowing in the book of Esther is not just the time when he as king of kings will extend a scepter to us, but when he as king of kings extends his own son when he doesn't just wait for us to come to him, but when he sends his son into the world to come and find us, we who are lost, we who are far from him, and draw us back to himself. When he doesn't wait for us to make ourselves pleasing to him, but he allows his son's blood to be sacrificed so that we might find cleansing and healing through his son, Jesus Christ, and be reconciled to him. What God has done in Jesus Christ is torn down that curtain of insecurity, that curtain of anxiety, that curtain of worry and fear, and said, God is not like the kings of this earth, but he is a God who graciously welcomes us home. A God who goes out looking for us to bring us home. A God who promises to make a way so that we can live with him forever. A God who says, because of my son Jesus Christ, you will never be separated from me again. And gives us the assurance that at any moment, whether we feel close to God or far from God, whether we feel like life is in control and makes sense or we feel like life is utterly chaotic, that we are welcome to come into God's presence, to come before him and say, Lord, here am I, and I need you. And he will hear us, and he will forgive us, and he will wrap us into his presence, and he will shower his love upon us and his presence on us in his spirit. The question that Esther raises for us. And the calling towards a faithful life that we are given is really this question. What if God is more faithful than we have ever imagined? Paul, when reflecting on that later on, talking to the Ephesians, it loses himself trying to describe God's love. He says it's higher and deeper and wider and longer. If you do four measurements like that, you're actually caught up in the middle. You're caught up in the middle of God's love. It's higher and deeper. It's wider and it's longer 
than we have imagined, than we have dared to ask or imagine. God is wrapping us up into his love in Jesus Christ, and he is that much bigger and better than we have dared to imagine. We're heading into a, a couple liturgical days ahead of us. The first one's next Sunday. It's called Christ the King Sunday. And it's, it's a time where we as God's people throughout the world remember that Christ will come back and that he's going to come back as the ascended king, as the king who rules over heaven and earth. It's a day of celebrating, even now, the already, that Christ is ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he's there on our behalf interceding for us and that we have this assurance that the story of our lives will culminate in that reunion with God under Christ's lordship and everything will be made new. So next week we're going to celebrate that. And in some sense, we celebrate that day and we, we remember the second coming and the promise of that assurance that, that he's coming back. We remember that because it helps to shape our imagination. It helps us in those days where uncertainty floods in to remember that God's even bigger and better than we have imagined. And then the week after that, we enter into Advent, which in its heart of hearts is a longing for Jesus. And this year for Advent, we're going to we're going to sing and read and dwell with that, that old song, that old hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And we're going to remember the story of Jesus coming the first time, even as we anticipate Jesus coming again. And we're going to cry out together, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And we're going to have the kids say this with us. Jesus is coming. He's almost here. And it's meant to put us in this posture that, that Esther has and the people of, of that time and her time were in, this posture before God that, that may even include fasting during Advent, during a time of the year where, where we typically feast and we celebrate. It's also a space to recognize our hunger and our need, both personally and in our world, for God to come, for Christ to come back. And so we'll have some things that get woven into this season that invite us into that posture before God, a posture that recognizes our great need for Jesus Christ to come. And through that, we'll learn to say together and we'll learn to trust God together that Jesus is coming. He's almost here. Let's pray. Lord, we feel the not yet of your promises. We can scarcely turn on news or a news feed and, and make it out without hearing about some tragedy, something that's gone terribly wrong in our world. We hear it in the emails and the phone calls we receive from family and friends of things that have turned ways we didn't expect and life has been upended 
sometimes tragically so. And we feel it in our own lives. We feel the not yet, the brokenness, the sinfulness, and we need you. We need to know and to experience that you are already king of kings. We need you to live and come fully in our lives. We need you to come back and make everything new. We need you to deliver us and this whole world. Jesus, hear us. Cleanse us. Make us whole and holy and teach us to long for your coming kingdom. We might not be content and satisfied with the brokenness of this world, but long for the wholeness and goodness of your coming kingdom. Bring about that day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.